1: This is the Starship Sova. Everybody, welcome. Hello, and welcome to Show Five Hundred Nine. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello, everyone. I hope everyone is fine and dandy. Another grey and mm, gloomy day, and the clocks have went back as well. So we've got this window of light, where especially when I'm, you know, you kind of working that, like, you've got to get the dogs out, and it's getting dark at half four, five o'clock. Yeah. <gasps> No good whatsoever. I'm taking my vitamin D, Keep myself going, keeping myself strong. Today's show, man, hats off to Jeremy. Jeremy Sal, our editor, is, and tell. I'm, I'm not joking, he's ruthless as well, mind you, when you can try and get a story in. And I'll tell you why he's ruthless, because he is a good writer as well, that's why. And we are playing one of Jeremy's stories today, so... I want some comments on this post as well. What do you think? Do you know what I mean? Has he, has he got the chops to be a writer? And trust us as well, when we, kinda, we get into the story, it was me that asked Jeremy. Do you know what I mean? I asked Jeremy to put a story in that Everyone anthology. And, you know, when I, when I read that and when I listened to it as well, because I got it, you know, done in the audiobook format as well, I was just like, I want to play that on the show. So I went to kind of to Jeremy and I said, you know, do you mind? C- can we do this? And he says, Would you, do you want to do this story? So he gives another. And I was like, cause, you know, I was thinking, you know what I mean? It was, was going to rub me in my, you know, one trick pony, you know, one hit wonder. And this story as well, it's like, man. And it's just like grinds on, you know. How good can you bloody, great editor, great writer, young fit lad, good looking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's me, Jeremy. Hitting fifty on the far side of it. Grey as anything. Stiff, old, grumpy. He's oh, got everything, man. But anyways, I want you to listen to the story, Ark of Bones by Jeremy. And like I say, come over to the, you know on the on the post there and, and put some, some feed some comments as well. Is he as good as that? He's you know, I mean, he's and he can write, man. That's the that I think is from what I've kind of learned in this you know, industry without actually <laughs> without actually doing any hard work in it, if you just kind of keep on pounding away and writing and writing and writing, do you know what I mean? Moorcock was a great example of that. I'm going to get a bit more, I'll talk about a bit more about Moorcock and a few of the greats later on in the show. But Moorcock, I picked this story and it's to do something special and it was a novel. And he, he, I sent him an email and he went, Really? Two days' hard work? A novel? He wrote a novel in two days, man. You know what I mean? That's the level you've got to get up to to kind of do it and do another one, do another one, do it. And Jeremy's getting to that kind of, I'm not saying two, you know what I mean, because I think there was probably a lot of, you know, other things in Warcock's life, you know, to help that situation. But Jeremy, again, can just kind of sit down and write out a novel and then just... Put it away, move on to the next one, and that's a talent, man. That's a skill. You're just kind you've just got to grind through them, dear. And I'm, like you say, he's can certainly, you know, churn out a story. So I'll tell you what's coming in dear. Sure, we have Art of Bones by Jeremy Sal coming up very soon. Then we have a little. I did an introduction for Patreon, and it's a little thing I've, I've got a, a, a mind to do. So I'm going to play that afterwards, and then I'll come back at the end of the show, and kind of say, say goodbye. So, let us jump into the main fiction. And like I say, it is Ark of Bones by Jeremy Sal, And this is an original to Starship Sova for the audio. And I'll give you a little bio on the young fella he's selling, young chap. Jeremy Sall is a Mediterranean-blooded mongrel who was born in 1995 in the outback of Australia where he was raised by wild dingoes. His science fiction, horror and non-fiction have appeared in Nature, Abyss and Apex, Lightspeed, Strange Horizons, Tor.com, The Drabblecast and has been translated into multiple languages. He is the fiction editor for a trashy podcast you probably haven't heard of called Starship Sova and is represented by the wearsome literary agent John Gerald and hopes to sell a novel soon. He carves out a living in Sydney, Australia, with his family where he drinks too much gin, watches too many cult films, and makes too many dark jokes. He quite possibly has an army of trained kangaroos. Find them at JeremyZal.com or on Twitter at jeremyzal, And Zal is spelt S-Z-E-L, if you wanted to know. This story is narrated by the one, the only, Mr. Michael Naramore. Michael Naramore has narrated well over 100 audiobooks, ranging from best-selling Nora Roberts, Lisa Gardner, Edward Klein and Clive Barker to the sci-fi rising stars of Wesley Chu, Ramiz Nam, and Mark E. Cooper. He has recently chosen to narrate prolific playwright and Oscar nominated screenwriter Robert Aldrey's seminal Nature of Man series. Michael A. is also an active writer, musician, and recording artist, having scored the soundtrack to an independent short film, produced and engineered critically acclaimed rock records, and written, performed, and recorded several silly little lo fi rock songs of his own. <laughs> He currently resides in the wild and scenic Columbia River Gorge outside Portland, Oregon, with his wife, two small boys, and their beloved golden retriever. So, the Starship Sova is
2: very proud to present... Ark of Bones We hid by the river as the fleet men approached. Flashlights swept through the blood-red flora and ebony trees over my head in the familiar arcs of a rifle sweep. Jasper, my best friend, crashed next to me, so close I could smell his sandalwood scent. His frantic breathing boomed in my ear. Or maybe it was mine. A river of sweat ran down my chest and I slowly breathed in the mineral-rich oxygen, the sticky sweetness of the forest setting in my throat like glue. If we were caught, I'd get a beating at worst for being outside the city walls with present company. But they'd shoot Jasper, just like they'd shoot any non-human they got their hands on. Not here, came a bark as their voices drifted into the swampy darkness. Spread out and find that skull face. We hid for a few minutes before crawling over the ledge and peering past a web of purple vines for movement. Empty. Still alive? Jasper whispered. So far, I breathed out. We took a few minutes to peel the sticky red leaves from our legs before walking back to the city gates. Jasper was tall for a Torok, about half a head higher than me. Sturdy bones jutted underneath dark mahogany skin. He scratched his curved mandibles with a four fingered hand and gazed at me with warm gray green eyes. Kirito, you didn't have to come out tonight. I wanted to. He gave a sharp click of his mandibles. You could have gotten yourself killed for being with me. There are worse ways to die. There was a husky sharpness in my chest as I spoke. I was sometimes tempted to go back on my promise to Jasper that I'd stop smoking, but a promise is a promise. Even if we only found a body, it would be an answer. He snapped his tongue in anger. This is futile. You don't ever, ever say that. My voice was raw and dark in the heat of the forest. We'll find your friends. Don't ever say that again. Jasper's shoulders slumped. Maybe I was too harsh. You're right he said, laying a heavy hand on my shoulder. I patted his chest, feeling the steady drumbeat under his leathery skin. I wasn't too sure if I believed it or not, but that didn't matter. If someone didn't keep the hope burning, Jasper would give up searching for his missing friends, and I owed my friend that much. It was not a complete waste. Jasper held up the tattered bag, crammed with rusty robotic joints. They usually dumped them for recycling at the scrap heap. Tomorrow, Jasper would sell them at the markets. Hopefully, they'd net him a dozen corins. It would be enough to get by for the week, maybe. The city loomed as we drew near. Tall, angular buildings sliced through rain-heavy clouds, lights splashing the city with colors of a nebula. A concrete wall blocked our way, splitting Archaeus from the wild jungle. No patrols. We scrambled through our hidden hole under the wall and made it safe. We'll search again soon, I said, sharing one last look as we parted. He strolled off to the non-human shanty encampment where all the aliens on Archaeus were forced to live. I watched him out before picking my way back to the city. A group of Torox were flanking a burning pyre, murmuring in their own language, I nodded to them as I passed, and they turned away in suspicion. After everything humans had done, I could hardly blame them. Just yesterday, a drunken fleetman had waltzed his way into the camp and laughed as he shot four dead, then laughed louder as he unloaded the rest of his clip into their dead bodies. They were burning the bodies now, and as per Torok custom, would scatter their ashes to the wind for wherever the dead went next. The fleetmen had hushed the whole thing afterwards. A paramilitary like that always has money to give, and there's always an open hand to receive it. Always. There had been recent investigations into their actions, and I'd heard that the authorities were getting sick of their interfering. But why bother holding my breath? It's not like Earth had been any different. I gave a knowing nod at the guard slouching at the gate. He'd tried to stop me from entering once. I came back the next night with photos of the strip joint where he'd spent his night snorting red reed and the woman he'd been spending them with. After providing his wife's contact info, we had no further problems. Outside, the roads were clogged with auto rickshaws and buses blaring a cacophony, rich spice wafting from street stalls. Non-humans were still permitted here, and I spotted a few selling goods. The signs banning them cropped up as I made my way home. Fraternizing with them was taboo enough. Letting them come into the city center might have caused a riot. But that didn't matter, because I owed these aliens my life. I met Jasper when I was 13, more than a decade ago now. Father had found out his business partner was as dirty as they came, taking bribes, cutting corners at the drone factory, refusing to replace malfunctioning machinery, and sweeping it under the rug when six people were killed in an incident. Father threatened to report it. They offered him a share. He refused. And that's when they sent fleet men to our house. It was just after dinner when I saw them hiking to our house with machetes and silenced pistols. Hero, my older brother, who'd sometimes knock me around when he was in a foul mood, threw me under the bed as they stormed in, told me to look away. But I couldn't tear my eyes away when the fleet men jammed the muzzle against Father's temple and spattered the white walls red, like the cherry compote he'd make. A clean, wet stroke of a machete ended Hiro's life. My sister Hisako tried to run, but a quick retort from a submachine gun cut her down, blood soaking into her long, black hair she'd spend hours combing. She didn't even scream. And the laughter, the awful sound drilling deep, deeper into my skull. I don't know what they'd have done to me if I hadn't escaped out a window. I managed to reach the non-human encampment and crashed into Jasper's hut. By all rights, he should have thrown me out. He took one look at my blood and tear-stained face and hid me while the fleetmen searched the area. (sighs) The authorities searched for the men, but nothing ever came up. There was nothing to even prove they'd been fleetmen, and no one was going to believe a snot-nosed thirteen-year-old brat. End of story. Except, I was still alive, and all because of Jasper. The towering academy building had two wings, taken up by the biggest departments, xenobiology and astronomy. I squinted at it on my way to the non-human encampment. I was currently studying engineering there. There was no end of them needed for helping out on the countless buildings sprouting up around the city. The camps were stationed on the edge of the city, flanked with rusty fences. Tension hung heavy in the air. Spatters of copper-colored blood with metallic flecks were splashed over the hot pavement. Torok blood. The fresh, cloying smell tugged at the pits of my stomach. There was a fight, a pencil-thin man with a caterpillar mustache slurred into my ear between a skull face and some humans. He spat on the pavement. Pieces of shit. The non-humans, I asked, hands curling into fists by my side. He shrugged back. If something's the color of shit, smells like shit and looks like shit, then it must be shit. Some people just aren't worth the trouble of punching. I just hurried into the camp. No fleetmen around, that's been known to change at any moment. Street vendors flanked me to either side, non humans trading in damaged canned food, salvaged computer gadgets, cables, whatever they could find. Intense heat and noise and chaos polluted every meter. A lone water pump sat in an open yard, a shallow pool of discolored water beneath. The only water source they owned. The camp was little more than a shanty labyrinth of crude tin shacks hammered together. The aliens had been living here ever since humans first arrived on Archaeus back in 2090, almost two centuries ago now. It even smelled ancient. Having nothing meant that Jasper, like all non-humans, was locked in the mentality of hoarding everything they could find, and his shack was full of salvaged goods. He even kept the yellowed textbooks and dictionaries I'd used to teach him English, along with all the old novels I'd read as a boy. When everything you own can be taken away in a blink, even owning scrap becomes an act of defiance. I hovered in the doorframe. Still alive? So far. Fresh scars traveled up my friend's face, swiped across his mandibles, still bleeding. He gave that lopsided Turok grin of his, full of mischief and fun, like everything in the world was going to be all right. Well, I was never handsome to begin with. My muscles tightened. What happened? I tried to get a better look, but he waved me away. I'd sold my parts at the market, and was coming back when a bunch of humans cornered me. I didn't know what they'd have done if I didn't escape. For a moment, my family were sprawled in front of me. I blinked the ghosts away as Jasper rifled around in an opening we'd made in the mattress and handed me a small object. Shaped like a pistol, it was a laser cutter used in construction, but remodified into a weapon that sliced open anything, flesh included. If the fleetman catch you with this, I started. I wake up every day not knowing if I'm going to see the end of it it is worth the risk. I shrugged away the weight, starting to settle on my shoulders. It wasn't meant to be like this, I said. That war between you and them when their paramilitary first arrived to establish a colony here, it should never have happened. Ah, well, they expected it to be empty. That grin again. We ruined their moment in the spotlight. But it could have been worse. If your government didn't stop the fighting with the truce and give us this settlement, they'd have wiped us out before anyone knew we existed. But they still would, given the chance. But to keep non-humans busy, the government occasionally gave them hard labor jobs no one else wanted, and even fleetmen couldn't argue with that. Doesn't make this any easier, I said especially with all the missing Torox. If they were dead, we'd have found their bodies by now. Hey, hey, I said. Remember what I said. You're not allowed to even think it. I clapped my hand on his broad shoulder, breathed in his sandalwood scent. We'll find them. I promise. A yell cut off Jasper's response. Please don't be fleetmen, I prayed as we ventured out to find non-humans congregated near the water pump. In the distance, a lone human scuttled for the camp's exit. I scooped up a glistening object near the pump, a small empty flask. No smell. Did the outsider bring it? Jasper nudged me and pointed to the fleetmen on the camp's fringes. He clicked his mandibles, and I felt the heat rising from his skin. I don't like this. Let's leave. Flask in pocket, we hurried back to the hut. Most of the non-humans made themselves scarce, some coughing as they went. The tougher ones hung around, gripping makeshift batons and clubs. They were useless against pulse rifles, but it wouldn't surprise me if they had guns of their own. I think I saw a cutter-shaped bulge strapped to a thigh. Back in the hut, Jasper patched himself up with medgel and fried the lamb shanks I'd brought him. It wasn't often he got to eat food that didn't come out of a can, and his biology didn't allow him to consume dairy or fermented goods. I regularly brought him food ever since that incident a few years back when they'd sealed off the camp. Emergency quarantine, the fleetman had said. The non-humans inside starved, killing each other for scraps. The only reason they'd survived was because of support groups flinging packs of rations over the fence. No way I was letting my friend go through that again, no matter how many times he insisted he could feed himself. I cradled the cutter. My fingers slipped all too easily into its cold grip. Would you kill one of them? I don't know why I asked it, but I did. Would you? I kept silent, afraid of what I'd say. I would, Jasper said. Your government does not care. And you've told me how easy it is to bribe someone. My knuckles turned white on the cutter. I remember stumbling from person to person after my family had been killed demanding help from someone, anyone, anyone at all. Some just didn't want to know. The ones that did couldn't dig anything up, even when the whole thing stunk of a cover-up. You know they want to push the slums back, make our camp even smaller so they can renovate and put new buildings there? I grimaced. I've been hoping to keep the news from him. I hear the humans talking about it he continued. I swear I could hear his mandibles grinding. We're already overpopulated. If they make the camp even smaller, we'll be living on top of each other. Another lopsided grin, full of life and innocence, warming my heart. Almost like you humans do. Apartments aren't quite the same thing, I humored him, but I know he knew me well enough to know when I was hiding my concern. I thought back to the man in the camp today. He spelt trouble. I just didn't know what kind. We were walking out later, complaining about the heat, when we heard the gunshot. The fleetmen from the camp's entrance were facing off against the Torox. Juan smashed his rifle into the alien's stomach. Take another step, skullface! he yelled. I dare you. The fleetman aimed his silenced rifle and squeezed the trigger, punching a hole in the corrugated metal above his head. My body flinched at the vibration of the gunshot. Get out of here! A tattered leather jacket stretched across the tallest Torok's broad shoulders. His hand slithered towards his holstered cutter like an insect. Leave while we allow it. While you allow it? The fleetman seemed to find it amusing. His angular helmet melted back into his jet-black armor to reveal a cold, marbled face, eyes reflecting no light. A firm hand gripped my shoulder. This is too dangerous for you, Jasper told me. Don't be stupid. My tongue was numb as I said it. It'd be smart to run, run, and never look back. But abandon my friend? never. Hey, what's a human doing over here? The fleetman squeezed his sweat-speckled face against mine. He wore the slightest smile on his lips. I'd seen that same smile on a boy in my school as he ran a kitchen knife across a girl's face when she'd refused to go out with him. Why you with the skull face? He panted. Not your business. It was too dark for him to ID me. I started inching away. He gave the lowest of dark laughs. laughs. I'm not gonna ask you again. My scalp itched. That laugh, it was familiar somehow. Corey, get over here. I'm warning you, don't- We both turned just as the fleetman opened fire on the approaching Torok, His head cracked back, splattered blood and brains on the walls. He tried to gun down the next, but the non-human got there first, bringing down the baton on the fleetman's hand with a loud crunch, like celery snapping. Corey swore, raised his own gun in Jasper's direction, and I bowled him to the ground. He managed to swipe me as I scrambled away, clipping me on the shoulder. The Torok in charge flashed me a look of gratitude as we ripped away. Jasper was yelling something. Couldn't hear it. Everything was white noise, white noise. All I could think about was what would have happened if I'd been just one nanosecond too late and Corey had pulled that trigger. Exactly what I thought would happen happened. The slums were promptly sealed off, no one allowed in or out for days. An important investigation, the hollow said. Two Torox and one fleetman had been killed, with another injured. They might have gotten away with an injury, but not a death. They'd hunted and gunned down the Torox in question. They didn't look like the Torox from that night, though. I doubted they'd go to the trouble of finding them. It was easier to find two others and pin it on them. Not many would say otherwise but some were. I'd heard other authority members who'd been complaining about the fleetman's actions. Some had even brought them in for questioning. I couldn't remember the last time someone had spoken out against them like that. But making a case against fleetman was like building a tower, one grain of sand at a time. Jasper always said that analogy was too cynical of me. Maybe he was right, but it was the truth. It was raining today, ropes of rain, sleeting down buildings and gutters. Had to be hell for the non humans, I thought, as I sat under cover inside the Academy Square. Hardly any of them had sealed roofs. I brought out the small flask again, wincing as I reached into my back pocket. That fall last night had been harder on me than I'd thought. I saw something small on the flask, almost invisible on the bottom in clear plastic numbers. Xeno D6H. I peered towards the xenobiology wing and gripped the flask until my knuckles turned bone white. Of course. A few minutes later, I was inside. A cluster of white-clad xenobiologists drifted by, Throwing, what the hell are you doing here, looks, but not bothering to stop me. I came to the door marked D6. Unlocked. I ignored the tightness of my muscles and slipped inside. I was in a whitewashed hall, bite of bleach heavy in the air. I walked to a door and gazed through the transparent preview. The room was stocked with chemicals and other tissue samples. The exact same flasks as the one we'd found in the caps, my heart battered against my ribcage. I'm in the right place at the end was a steel-clad door, thick and ominous, like a warning sign. No preview window. A stubborn data pad was wired to the side. Someone really didn't want people sniffing around in this room, which is why I had to do exactly that. Voices wafted my way. A door swung open and a handful of people trooped out. Two scientists and two fleetmen. One of them was Cory. We're moving on schedule, one of the scientists was explaining in a sullen voice. Still not good enough, Cory rasped. And then he noticed me. If looks could kill. Hey, what the hell are you doing here? Do you have clearance? One of the scientists jumped in, just in case I actually did have the right to be here. I got lost, I said, itching my way past. I was just leaving. Corey didn't bat an eye as he pinned me against the wall, blocking my body with his. Be on your way, he told the scientists without taking his eyes off me. I'll take care of this. They didn't even look back. Cory stuck his face so close to mine we could have kissed. What were you really doing here? I told you. I got lost. I could have kicked myself. Stupid, stupid, stupid. That tiny splinter of a smile again. You must be as retarded as you look. It was like the jungles outside the city, wild and vast and full of unknown depths and dangers. My spine and skull grinded against the wall. This is a restricted area. We could clap you in a cell just for entering the premises. Then why haven't you done it already? That tongue of yours is going to dig your grave. He screwed up his mouth, tongue rolling in his mouth. I know you from somewhere. I shook my head. Too quickly. My breathing sharpened as his calloused, rock-bitten hand wandered over to the plum-purple bruise on the bridge between my shoulder joint and neck. Exactly where he'd hit me that night. Where'd you get this? I got mugged, I managed. He didn't buy my flimsy lie for a second. No way. He grunted something that sounded like, get your ass out of here. I muttered thank you and went on my way. Everything blurred and I was outside with the howling rain slapping at my face. Acid tickled the back of my throat as I dashed out of the academy grounds. The vomit gushed out before my knees hit the ground. My entire frame was shaking and suddenly I was a sobbing boy again, slippery with my family's blood. Cory had laughed as he killed my family. And now he was going to do the same to the only person I had left. Are you sure it's him? I'm sure. I could never forget that laugh. I was helping Jasper slap some computer parts back together to sell at the markets. He'd always insisted he do the work himself, and as usual, I'd ignored him and helped out anyway just as we both knew I would. I'd built these as a kid, and piecing together the machinery and feeling it click and whirl in my hands had always calmed my nerves. It beats smoking, at least. The quarantine had lifted yesterday. It'd have lasted longer, but people in high places protested, and the fleetmen were forced to waive control. But not before they'd interrogated over three dozen non-humans. Without access to food, double that amount had died of starvation. They're forcing us to move further back, Jasper said. They're already preparing to tear down some of the houses on the outer rim. I let the bloody scene from all those years ago replay in my head. Once I'd have stuffed it down into the wells of memory Now, it gave me energy for the very stupid thing I was about to do. I brought out the flask again. They're up to something in there. Jasper wiped his stained hands on a rag. You think it might have something to do with the disease that's floating around? Disease? It came a few days ago. The infected start coughing up mucus and blood. He pulled at his open collar. They die soon after. Okay. Now I knew my plan was cemented. I need to get into the room, I told him. Jasper clicked his tongue. You can't involve yourself like this. A laugh jackhammered in my chest. (laughs) I've been involved ever since he killed my family. I'm not going to stand by and let you be killed. Like I stood by and watched my family be killed. And if I stood by and let something happen to my big-hearted friend who deserved so much better from the world, I'd never forgive myself. It's just a matter of getting inside, I said. That big, lopsided grin appeared on Jasper's face. I may know someone who can help with this. Even at four in the morning, the academy is open. Some guy who can't be torn away from his thesis on dark matter or some last adjustments tinkering on a new starship engine. Most sensible people have gone home, so security's usually somewhat light. I slipped down the naked halls, the onion-thin card in my pocket. Jasper knew a friend who made a living from creating viruses and malware and selling them to buyers through the holonet, who'd never think of giving money to a Torok. Using a monitoring key gen, he'd created a bypass program that would freeze the Academy's mainframe, but not for long. Arriving at the D6 door, I had my suspicions whether it'd actually work or not, but there's no time like the present. I shoved the card into the slot's mouth. The light beamed green, and the door cracked open. I grinned and squeezed inside. No going back now. The corridor was bathed in a grayish darkness that seemed to have frozen still. The hairs on the back of my neck pricked up like I'd been charged with electricity. I was an intruder, stepping on hallowed ground. I got to the metal door, repeated the process. My breath burned in my throat, but I held my ground, and the touchscreen display read, "Open." The first thing that hit me inside was the cold, wrapping around my bones and gripping my spine like restraining clamps. It was your typical academy lab room with smoky glass and rows of monitors. There were rows of flasks on the shelves. This time they were sealed and full of tiny swirling beads. Marked Biochem Prototype Version 6. Rows and rows of containers lined the far walls inside a monster of a fridge. Even without the labels, I knew what they were. Non-human body parts, organs, tissue samples, blood. The papers on the Cocobolo desk confirmed it. They listed when they'd taken the non-human, what their code number was, the cell they'd been placed in and the things they'd done to them. Starvation to see how long they could last without food. The minimum and maximum temperatures they could survive. How much blood loss they could take without passing out. Pain tolerance, endurance, live dissection, exposure to toxins. All conceivable evil, researched and carried in these rooms. All their suffering funneled down to be logged here in small black letters on white paper. There was a room parallel to me that held a reclined bench, wrist and leg restraints popped open. On a gurney next to it were various cleavers and scissors, gleaming with the copper stain of torok blood. I grinded my palms against the side of my head so hard I should have split my skull, Horror pooled at the bottom of my stomach like concrete. I was drowning in it, cold fingers pulling me under with a despair I'd hadn't felt since the massacre of my parents. But I wasn't a helpless boy anymore. I could do something. I started snapping pictures of the printouts with my palmer, of the refrigerated organs, of the bloody table, of the flasks, the names of the scientists who logged into the system to work on these experiments. I captured it all. I noted a video over in the corner of my screen. My body didn't want me to watch it, but I had to. A surveillance cam filming a single Tauroch locked in a cell, throwing himself at the glass, begging to be set free the words, Prototype Biochemicals Released, popped up. The video fast-forwarded to the next day, where he was retching and coughing on the floor. The day after that, he'd ceased moving. The door unlocked, and scientists strode inside. They were looking for a pathogen, something that could directly impact non-human physiology. No wonder those scientists had been able to strut inside the room without protective gear. Humans were immune. The flask at the camp had been a test, placed in the water. And then I noticed the familiar fleetman insignia stamped at the bottom of the page. They were funding this. They wanted the non-humans gone. The disease was created to clear them out of the way to move them further into the camp for the new buildings. Two birds with one stone. The roots of this corruption ran deep into Archaeus's soil. But it could still be pulled out. There were people who could use this to actually change something, use it against the fleetmen. People who'd searched for evidence when my family was killed. The authority members who'd protested against the fleetman's actions called them in for questioning. They could do something. They had to know. Everyone was going to know. I started downloading all the files to my Palmer. A door in the hallway clanged shut. Sweat and fear trickled down my spine as muffled voices and heavy footsteps ushered past. If they caught me now... Cory would finish off what he started all those years ago. Transfer complete. I stuffed the device back into my pocket. Now, out. I slipped away, heading for the emergency exit, when I nearly collided with a white-clad figure. Watch where- Her eyes widened. It was the scientist from last week, the one with Cory. Her eyes flickered to the lab door, just closing behind me. Oh, hell. What did- I shouldered past her, breaking into a run. I think I heard her scream for help. My palms slammed against the emergency exit door and I burst outside, sunlight stabbing me in the eyes. I tore down the grating staircase, desperate to be away from the building- Sweat clouded my eyes as I skipped through the tooting traffic, waiting for the whisper of a bullet between my shoulder blades. None came. My chest ached as I skidded down the streets. There was only one thing left to do. I just hoped it wasn't too late already. A crowd had congregated around the camp's entrance, straining against the locked gates. Helijets sleeked through the sky like metal ghosts. Special marked vans parked near the edges. Fleetmen. No one was getting in or out. Except me. My palms scraped against broken glass and splintered wood as I crawled through the hole we'd dug. I sprinted towards the bedlam and screams, sweat running down my heaving chest. The helijet hovered overhead, They were snapping pictures of me? Didn't matter now. The whole camp was in cocooned chaos. A carcass of a car was ablaze, the searing heat licking my skin. Non humans were streaming out of their huts, either running or gripping weapons. I burst into Jasper's cabin. He wasn't there. Had they taken him? I started calling his name. Eh, Kirito, my friend said, coming out of his hiding place. I exhaled in relief. I gripped his arm, inhaled his sandalwood scent, feeling him still here and with me. What's going on? I panted out. It's a raid, Jasper rasped, clutching his gun. A dribble of blood snaked down his arm. Fleetmen found our weapon storage. He placed his hands on my shoulders. What happened with you? I spilled everything. He didn't say a word. By the time I was finished, he was seething with rage. His mandibles locked together and tendons stood out on his neck like bridge cables. And you've got photos? He asked. I'm going to send them everywhere. There are people who can- An explosion cut me off. Gouting flames mushroomed up into the air with clatter of gunfire. Screams followed. If we stayed here, we were as good as dead. I'd survived that night, and neither of us were going to die here. We burst out of the hut to see a fleetman hosing down a torok with his assault rifle. He splattered into dust, unmoving. He turned to us and was about to open fire when another non-human cut him down with the sickening stench of singed flesh. Get them! Someone screamed, drowned out by another blast. I fumbled with my device as Jasper propelled us through the labyrinth of welded steel shacks. The holonet connection here was almost dead, clogged with interference. The files started uploading in a trickle, spreading to news sources. I made sure to send direct feeds to those authority members, the ones who would need them the most. Down! I hit the ground just as bullets punched through the corrugated walls surrounding us. The smell of overheated metal and singed rubber clawed at my nose. Get to the river! I know I screamed the words, but the gunfire was so loud I couldn't hear myself say them. I caught a glimpse of Fleetman spraying down a cluster of torox with a spray of gunfire. This wasn't a raid, it was a massacre. We scrambled on the second level. I wiped the sweat out of my eyes just in time to see an armored figure standing to the side, aiming his rifle at my head. Someone hurled an object through a window of the house in front of us. Jasper rammed me in the shoulder, barging me out of the way to take my position. The gun coughed. Jasper fell. I watched the object fall to the floor. The grenade went off, and the world exploded. I was ripped to the side in a flurry of splinters and masonry. The ground punched the air out of my lungs. I was blind and deaf, and I couldn't move. I thought for a moment I'd been killed. Something razor sharp dug into my back. Jasper. He'd taken my bullet to give me extra time. Have to get to him. Before I could move, rough hands hooked under my arms, dragged me backwards through the dirt, pinned me flat on my back. Dust and light swarmed my vision, and I knew this would be the place I would die. You know, slurred a familiar voice, I'm starting to think this isn't a coincidence. I tried to stand, and Corey kicked me back down. He was a towering mountain, relishing his absolute control over me. If you were smart, you'd have died that night. The horror must have shone on my face. What? he grinned, shifting his boot on my chest. You think I'd forget your coward father? He leaned forward. When I can't sleep at night, I think of the way he screamed and cried and begged for his life. I think about the way the light faded from his eyes once he realized it was all over. There's nothing in the world as beautiful as that. He's jealous, I realized dimly. This man didn't have the capacity for compassion, so he could only take what others had. I know you went into that room. You think it's going to make a difference? He patted my cheek. Say what you like. We'll just pay them off, just like we paid them off when we blew Daddy's brains out. I grinned through bloody teeth. Just a few more seconds. I don't have to say anything. I threw my palmer at his chest. Everything had uploaded, all of it to the holonet and spread out to thousands of sources. It's done for me. His face melted, and he kicked me so hard I thought I heard a rib crack. You imbecile! You love these skull faces so much! He straddled me, jammed his pistol under my jaw. You can die like them! A gun cracked. Corey collapsed, screaming in the dirt next to me. I rolled to see the Turok I'd helped that night before the quarantine, standing there with his pistol. We shared a glance as his friends gathered around him. I ran over to Jasper. The bullet had punctured through the side of his torso, and blood was oozing out like a punctured wineskin. He grinned up at me. Still alive? You're hurt, I said, unable to joke. I'm fine. He said the lie with a wheeze. The wind carried Corey's voice, spouting curses. I advanced on him, scooping up the man's pistol and pressing it against his forehead. The scenes of my family's death looped in my head again and again and again. This man had slaughtered them like pigs and was trying to do the same to non-humans. His only joy was robbing people of things that mattered to them. My finger tightened around the trigger, but I couldn't pull. Father refused to taint himself, even when they offered him everything. I couldn't do it now. My family wouldn't have. I wasn't going to ruin myself for Cory. He wasn't worth it. Don't have the balls, eh? Cory sneered. I ignored him and turned to the Torok who'd saved me. All his friends were with him, knives and blades in hand. He's all yours, I said. I did not watch as they dragged him away or when the screaming started. Jasper had eased himself up onto one elbow, his breaths growing sharper by the minute. (laughs) Get me out of here, he coughed take me to the river. Jasper leaned on me for support as we hobbled into the forest. The gunfire had died down, and the dust had started to settle. It was impossible to tell who had won, and I wasn't going back to find out. We closed in on the river, a canopy of red leaves providing shade above us. Any other time, we'd sprawl in the long grass together talking and naming the chirping insects around us. Did you upload it? He wheezed. I nodded, readjusting my grip on his forearm, slippery with blood and sweat. Don't try to talk, I told him. The words were like razors in my throat. Just keep moving. Just keep moving. We crashed on the banks of the river, the blood-warm water surging around my knees. The water turned dark around Jasper's body. The bullet had gone clean through his body, maybe ruptured an organ. You didn't kill him, said Jasper quietly over the whisper of water. I shook my head. I didn't want to be like him. Your family would have been proud of you. I didn't try to push away the wailing pressure in my chest. I looked at my palmer. The footage was going viral. The headlines were starting to show shock, outrage, cries for them to be disbanded. The people that had tried to convict the fleetman for my family's murder had what they needed. It would be the straw that broke the camel's back. Finish it, Jasper rasped, so low I almost missed it. What? Finish it. Don't let them find me. He was almost begging. Don't let them take me to that place. No, I couldn't. I couldn't. But I knew it was the only way. They could already be heading over here. This time, I had a choice. We both did. He gave that lopsided grin, his warm hands flat against my chest for the last time. Whatever you do, Kirito, make a difference. I lowered my dear friend into the river, holding his head under. He thrashed under me, clawed at my arms, leaving long, bloody gouges. Tears beaded in my eyes, but I didn't let go as the life slowly seeped of this poor soul who'd saved my life. His heartbeat slowly, slowly died down. It would never beat again. He floated limp to the surface. I pried my fingers away and watched through glassy eyes as his body drifted away, cradled by the river to be whisked away to the heart of the forest to be lost forever. They wouldn't get him. He was the one that got away. He was free. I lay back on the muddy banks, letting the water wash away the crusting blood. My joints pulsed with a dull ache. I wanted the water to steal me away, let me join Jasper. But whatever came next... I had to see it through. I owed my family that much. I owed Jasper. Whatever you do, make a difference, he'd said. I will, I whispered, tasting the salt of my tears as they rolled down my face and disappeared into the river. I smiled up at the blue, blue sky. It was a beautiful day. I'll make a difference.
1: There you go. Don't forget, copyright is the one and only Mr. Jeremy Sal and Michael Narrowmore, man. Oh, I need to share a drink with that fella. i b- buy him a few, actually. Buy, buy him a, a year's supply. Michael, thank you so much. So what did you think of Jeremy's attempt there you know what I mean I like him I like his style it's, it's got that energy it's got that kind of not rawness but there's a kind of there's an unnerviness about it there's a, there's a certain depth of darkness there as well and you, you never know it could just turn nasty and everything like that man like I like his work I like his work indeed so let me know come over onto the post and write some comments there about Jeremy you know what I mean it would be fun. <laughs> nice ones so, well it don't have to be nice ones but you know what I mean Critical if you want to be. That would be the the, uh, the ideal solution. Also, Jeremy's mentioned as well, Starship Sova open to submission. So if you th- think you've got the chops for getting a story on the Starship Silver and we pay as well, do you know what I mean? Up to 10,000 words, $50 a story. So send them in. The portal is open there now. And I was having a little chat with Jeremy, and Jeremy says, Anything's you know kind of considered if any walk of life, you know, anything like that, send them in. We've got some slush readers there now, we can kind of look after this and take care of it. Are you, you know, on are you going to be on the next Starships of a show? That would be fantastic if it was an original story as well. And it, you know, it kind of it, it hits all our buttons. So send in your stories. Now, over on Patreon, I played this little introduction where I'm going to set up, you know, and and start running every fortnight as well. But before that, I just want to kind of, you know, the reason why I'm doing it, I want, want to just, you know, make some kind of points. We do the ads, as you know, and you're probably listening to them today on this show as well. Now, this is the second month that we haven't had any ad revenue. Yeah, we're playing the ads, but they're not reaching that kind of level to kind of send out any funds and this is this is why okay i 'm doing this introduction and do, i 'm doing some new things on patreon it 's to kind of make sure because it 's proven that you know the ads are there but it 's not it 's not you know hitting the right notes to get the the numbers up so we rely on on you you know what I mean it 's down to you've been going for ten years so listen to this introduction i 'm going to pay you ten seconds of an open intro. does it ring a bell? does it catch your eye? Can you remember what it is? It is Red Dwarf. Guess who's going back to Smegville? That's right, on the Perian feed, one of the things that we're going to do is go back and look at Red Dwarf every episode. thought I would sit down after watching a little TV and I was caught in a, a moment of remembrance. and Just remembering the joy I had of watching this TV. I'm talking about Red Dwarf. And I sat down the other day, it's still running. We're now on the episode of season 12 of Red Dwarf. And you know what I mean? It just takes us back. I'd mentioned a few times on the show, you know, it was such a comfort blanket to us. We we used to watch this show when we lived. We lived in Newcastle, right in the kind of, about a quarter of a mile from the city centre in a big, it was a three-storey old house. And we, we lived with a few folks there. It was our house, we bought it. actually. It was a nightmare to get out of it because a week before, we we put it up for sale, and a week later the Benwell riots took off, and they were video and camera all round the world. <laughs> but anyway, at that time it was playing Red Dwarf. And we'd have friends staying, you know, who would come over or come up from London or everywhere like that, they would stay. And it was just one of those programs that you could switch on and just rewatch and rewatch with friends. And, you know, I remember when they first came out, you know, like sitting again, it was a bit like, you know, in the olden days with music, where you used to kind of record, you know, press play and record on your little recorder and record the charts. I was there ready primed. 1988 when the first season came out, you know, to record them with a, you know, a VHS record it like that on the, on like a tape and then rewatch and the tapes would just wear out, you know what I mean? And then along came digital and it's, it's fantastic there now, but I want to talk, you know, and that's what I want to kind of, I'm going to do is because I watched season 12. And honestly, I was thinking, well, we'll see. And it holds up. It holds up. Excellent. Do you know what I mean? I'm, reasons why it's still I'm still struggling with you know Star Trek you know that's been going way longer and they're trying to recapture you know the old kind of style and you know before actually the original the stars you know S- Star Trek and it just isn't working for me and then like, yet I put on Red Dwarf and it's firing on you know, all cylinders do you know what I mean it really is good I really enjoyed it I was thinking oh it's not going to work now you know what I mean 1988 when it came out still you know got it to this day and it's it's went through some changes you know what i mean and I want, that's what i want to do on this feed i want to talk about i'm going to go right back to the beginning and i'm just every couple of weeks i'm going to just talk about one you know we'll pick like show one i'm just going to work me way right through all the shows talking about them there is some great ideas in there you know especially it's like Total like science fiction. And you can just tell, you know, like kind of the founding fathers that like Rob Grant and Doug Naylor were just total sci-fi, you know just stars with in my eyes, you know, the 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 ideas and the way they kind of brought them to the screen were just fantastic. So that's what I want to do. I want to just, you know, go back start from season one, episode one, and just every every two weeks. Drop a little 15-minute, you know, talk about the show, reminisce about the show. You know, it will be spoiler-laden, do you know what I mean? It'll be covered in spoilers, so, you know, if you don't want to listen, there you go, don't listen. What couple of things that kind of stand out for me i'm gonna play it i'm just gonna you know i'm giving you a heads up about this so folks i don't kind of know from the very early starship Sovers, i'm just you know and some people have heard this and some people you know know this and it's went down in starship sova lore this one you know in the history of, kind of not listening to what's going on in the show i'm gonna set the scene myself and kieran we did Starship's over when it first kicked off, you know, when this show actually first kicked off. And we used to, you know, do the the big classic writers and we'll just chat about them. We did Starship's over, we did Red Dwarf and we did it. It was actually a two-parter, you know, there was so much to talk about. And in there, there's a scene where Kieran's talking away and I didn't actually quite listen to what he said on the opening lines. So when I started listening, I was thinking of something totally different. This is guaranteed to make you smile. Trust us, don't listen to this if you're out in public.
3: I think for me, it was the gags, often as not delivered by Rimmer, Chris Barry, delivering these stories. And whenever you got a really good Rimmer story, it would start off an arch-typical kind of uh, description of something obviously with anybody else would have been a wonderful moment that would always, 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 without a doubt there, sink... Uh, below anybody's expectations of terrible. I think that possibly my favorite. It used to be a story I used to tell to people as a as a joke, and it was um my first French kiss. And it, it goes something along the lines of um I was on holiday with my uncle Frank and my mum. And my uncle Frank had two twin daughters. Now I'm pretty certain Lucy quite fancied me. But Jane was the one that I was keen on. Anyway, I was in bed, asleep. And imagine my surprise when this tongue is forced between my lips while I'm asleep. And I wake up to look and to notice it was me Uncle Frank. He'd come across to see me mum, slipped into the wrong bedroom there. And he'd ended up French kissing me instead. And that was like the first French kiss story. (laughs) And it was just... What's your
1: Uncle Frank wanting this French kiss your mother for?
3: (laughs) Well, obviously it was one of those kind of, you know, uncles in inverted commas, the way you explain things to children. This is your Uncle Frank. He's a really lovely bloke there. No real family link.
1: That's actually why you are probably so strange and and (laughs) Kieran.
3: No, but that's a story from Red Dwarf. I, no, what's tell- from? I thought you were I don't believe this. <laughs> I, don't know. I, don't know. I think that's the point. There, you could take a good red dwarf story, told Tony's going purple at this moment There, he's got the giggles. You could tell a good story from red dwarf. One of those Rimmer. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that
0: was fucking real
3: man. <laughs> I was I was actually thinking about whether I should edit that that one straight out there <laughs> oh man that didn't do me. but it, it was I mean Red Dwarf was the comedy soundtrack for, for our lives I mean I'm sweating I thought you were revealing something so personal. <laughs> Christ I can't Put that on the end, Kieran getting French kissed <laughs> off his uncle. <laughs>
0: uh,
3: if that did go out there, there'd be a lot of family speculation about uh, who Uncle Frank actually was.
1: <laughs> I don't know where it all come from. Like, oh, hell. Right. <laughs> hey, even to this dear, that's still, do you know what I mean? I just thought Kieran was just totally offloading something on us. Oh, man. <laughs> so, you know, we've got that with this kind of red dwarf. And there's there's so much in it, you know, like what, what I want to go, go back to and, you know, and rediscover and just, you know, now getting the, the, the kind of pulling it up and just getting familiar with it again. You know, there's this song.
0: Tongue-tied, tongue-tied
3: What is it? I'm looking for this dream I had last month on the dream recorder.:
1: That song man. It just from my, you know, I'm gonna say childhood, but I was I never kind of got into the, the fiction side of things, you know again. If you listen to the early shows, I wasn't a, in a, an early starter with, with reading, you know, it was well after school, you know, I was, I was in the 20s, 21, something like that, before I kind of picked up books and started kind of hammering them through, but TV and everything like that is, you know, that was my kind of source and just, you know, memories of, of Red Dwarf and I watched the video on YouTube, you can go and have a look at this video, you know, Tongue Tied. Danny John Jules, you know, he can dance. I think he was a trained dancer, but he's got all the moves. And if anything, do you know, the guy's getting better looking with age. You know what I mean? Whatever genes he's had, you know what I mean? There have been some good ones. He's still good. You can tell the other ones are starting to, you know, fade a little bit. So we're going to co- cover all that. You know, and that's what we'll talk about. I'll, like I say, I'll, I'll start on number one, show one, going right back to that 1988 episode. And we'll talk about all sorts, you know what I mean? Like I say, there won't be long, just 15 minutes of me rambling on, going, you know, wandering through the 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 memories of Red Dwarf. And it's so nice that it's still there and it's still got it. And the ideas are still, you know, brilliant ideas. And yeah, they might, you know, in this kind of new one, they might have to re-go over some ideas, but they're still there. And I've just watched one where Hitler's playing a guitar with Dave Lister, and it's just fantastic. The only way to listen to these is, you know, obviously Perion, but you, there is a special feed and some of the things will be going out there free as well. So anyone who's not kind of subscribed to the Perion sites of District of Wonders anyways, you know, there will be some stuff up there, but you can get this special feed from Perion. Now you put in your podcatcher and of, of your choice and you'll get those shows, even the private ones, all, you know, personally downloaded to you to your podcatcher of choice. So there will be a link. If you come over the website, I'll put this code in the RSS code that you can just grab and then paste it into your, your podcatcher. What I did was just email it to myself, then highlighted it all and then added it in to you know into the podcatcher. Because if you're doing it on the phone, you've somehow got to you know copy that. So that's what I did. I sent it to an email, copied it. So you know how you paste, copy, click with your fingers and all that. Then added it into. Pocket Cast, that's what I use on my Android phone, Pocket Cast. There you go, and it comes up and it works fine. So please join us, you know, do support Starships over on... The period and That's the how we kind of get this show out and running. Do you know what I mean? The, the, it's proven the ads you know, are a bit kind of hitty-missy. And this is one way to, to kind of entice us to come over. I'm also, I'll talk about it next week because I've waffled on a little bit too much here now. But we've got some, or I've acquired the rights to some classic books. Moorcock, Silverberg and Jack Vance. And we're going to break them down. I'll tell you a little bit more about that as well. So... Grab that link and support the fantastic Starships over on Patreon. Now that there, what you've just listened to, was an introduction I did. And I've recorded the first one over there as well. And it's primed, ready to go, the, the Red Dwarf, back to Smegsville. And, you know, when I think about that time when Kieran did that, and, you know, the, when I didn't listen to him, man, it's vivid, man, it's vivid in my mind <laughs> Just, I never listened and I thought the lad was offloading. Oh man, I was like, just the relief when I realized it was me that I'm getting it wrong. Do you know what I mean? And it wasn't Kieran, do you know what I mean? Confessing everything like that, you know what I mean? Oh man, the relief was, you know, <laughs> I, was just, I was just red. I'm even, I still get red now, you know, thinking about it. So anyways, that's what we're doing on, you know, Starships over. what else on, sorry, on Patreon. What else is each week there now, I'm going to put as soon as I of upload this, it'll go on Patreon ad free as well. So there'll be no adverts and there's an RSS feed that, you know, you can grab what I mentioned there as well. I'll put that in today's post. So all you do is, what I mentioned, you know, put it over, copy it in, and then you get every notification that there's, there's something on there as well. So if you want to listen to Starship Software without the ads, do you know what I mean? And I know there's quite a few years there to do that. You know, that's, you know, support with that way. Make sure we kind of, we keep going. And I mentioned, I think I did mention actually as well, the, the audio books. I've required the, the rights to, and I mentioned it now, the kind of Moorcock, Michael Moorcock, Robert Silverberg and Jack Vance. I've got three novels by them, so I can do the the audiobooks of them. And what I'm going to do as well is get them narrated and break them up each week in like a little serial format as well. And these are kind of vintage ones that haven't been turned into audiobooks, you know what I mean? So I'm chuffed a bit. And I'm looking in a way, you know, I can kind of rely on friends and actually pay them, do you know what I mean? But rely on friends to kind of who are just amazing narrators and just make these available for her, you know what I mean? So all I'm doing is kind of setting the bedrock to make sure if the ads don't work, we're covered, do you know what I mean? I've had to knock back, you know, two episodes a month on Farfetch Fables because it's just, it, you know, it's not over there, it's not worth it. You know, I can't just kind of keep on handing out me kind of, me, me money <laughs> and not getting anything back, you know, it just, it's just not when it's... You're kind of little business running now. You've got to make sure things are kind of working fine. And there is, I didn't realize this as well, man. Someone, honestly, email us and tell us, has the Drabblecast finished? Because that was one of the kind of, what I classed as the bedrock, you know what I mean, of the kind of science fiction, you know, fantasy genre-related podcast. Has that gone? Is that finished? Has Norm stepped down? You know what I mean? I, I've just found out. I read a post just on Facebook the other day, and I was like, ah, oh, man. No, you know what I mean. They're kind of, some podcasts start up and you wish them all the best, and then they go away. But some of them have just been there for kind of you know eternity. And once once one of the big old dinosaurs goes, it kind of it just knocks your ending. Do you know what I mean? It really does. I'm gutted about Drabblecast. I don't know why it's it's went. You know, or if it has gone, am I just not getting the information? That's not going to happen, do you know? By God, it's not going to happen on the Starship Sova, you know, and Tales of terrify and farfetch Fables. I just want them to keep going, man, do you know what I mean? It's just like, to bring you the likes of Jeremy's story there, man, How Howie, man, how to lose yourself, do you know what I mean? If you're a little bit kind of glum and a little bit kind of, you know what I mean, just... Lose yourself in a story like that. Put on the headphones, you know. If you're just feeling a little bit down, if you're stuck in traffic, do you know what I mean? How many emails I get saying that, you know what I mean? I'm just listening to you going going home tone, you know what I mean? I've drove around the block to listen to the end of the story, do you know what I mean? So, there we go. Come on, hand on heart, help me out, and it would be fantastic, man. Bring you more stories. Jeremy will certainly you know, get rid of a few because we don't want any crappy stories on here. He is vicious. Vicious man when he comes to like. I would be like, oh,
2: well, I quite
1: like that one. You know what I mean? But no, it's got to pass a standard. Until next week, I'd just like to say, good day from me.
0: This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. Anytime soon, can you reach me? Is my signal getting through? Turn on your radio, I want to talk to you. This signal's going light speed, by the time I get my say. Far from here and at best I move slow so I'm waiting on your call at home with nowhere to go can you reach me is my signal getting through town on Build